and reading, at their very best, are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Our guest this week, Emily McKeon, left a job in the insurance industry to follow her dream of becoming a high school English teacher because she felt that that was what she was been called to do. When she saw a Facebook article about how therapy dogs can help young elementary students with their reading, she had the crazy idea of trying them with her students at Eastern High School, which is in eastern Jefferson County outside Louisville, Kentucky. What she hoped for was to build confidence in her reluctant freshman readers, but what she got was so much more. Emily talks to us about some books that are reliable favorites of her students year after year, what kind of students she feels get the most from working with a reading therapy dog, and what TV show was her bridge to loving the true crime genre. We feel lucky to have had the chance to interview Emily the day before the Kentucky governor called off schools in the state for the coronavirus pandemic. Amy and I have gone on another field trip. Today we are at Eastern High School with Emily McKeon. She is a ninth grade English teacher and she's been having someone, something interesting come to her classroom. So we're gonna talk to her about that and how she gets her students to want to read more. So welcome, we're so glad to have you. I'm so glad to be here, thank you for having me. First of all, tell us a little bit about you. I'm Emily McKeon. This is my sixth year teaching. I teach freshman English at Eastern High School. Love it here. Go Eagles. This is my first graduating class of my first year of seniors, and I just realized that I had both of your girls <laughs> freshman year. So I'm glad to be here in good company. So tell us a little bit about what your ninth grade English classes are, are like, sure. what you teach, right. all that good stuff. I um, have taught ninth grade at two Jefferson County schools. Right now I teach Ramp Up English. That's kind of my bread and butter. Ramp Up is a double block class and it is students who have been tracked as lower readers with really low test scores, usually elementary range test scores, have been tasked with getting them up to grade level in ninth grade. So I've got them for a double block so we can spend a lot more time on reading and writing. We use a workshop model where we do a lot of practice with models and then we apply it. We practice and we apply so we can follow that each day and have the extra time. I also teach comprehensive English, which is kind of our regular ed standard track, and then I teach advanced classes as well. So we kind of go from start to finish our days totally different. We do a lot of the same stuff but with totally different text. So focus on the same standards but at varying levels throughout the whole day. So can you give us some examples of what some of those texts might be that you would Um, use at different levels? Sure. Like with my Ramp Up kiddos, one of our favorite texts is the Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, which we love because he's crass and he's real and he's 14 and he does all the things 14-year-old boys do. And it's just incredible when you watch them read. Sometimes we'll go through silent sections and you can see them start laughing or go, oh my gosh, did he just do that? And you can kind of pick up on what section they're on. So that's a favorite. We also read The Secret Life of Bees, which we just love. And so we focus a lot on making predictions and things like that. There are a lot of epigraphs in that. So thinking how we can take 
a nonfiction text and apply that to our fiction text and how they can go hand in hand. So those are some of our favorites that we've had year over year. So tell us about the special visitors that you have come in. We have had this year, after begging and pleading and presenting my little hallway proposal to my principal, have been approved to bring in therapy dogs to my class. This group is called Pause with Purpose, and they have a program called Rough Readers where students can read with a dog. Traditionally, the dog goes into an elementary school classroom, and they do like a circle time reading all together. I saw a Facebook article one time, and I thought, we could do that, that this is something that we could do for lots of reasons, reading being the first reason that I thought I have a lot of students who really struggle with their confidence in reading and they refuse to read or read read out loud, read even independently because they get so frustrated because I'm giving them eighth or ninth grade texts and if we're not reading on that level that it's just that we're not there yet. So we decided to bring in Carly and Zeus and Xena and they are our three dogs that come visit our classroom and they come in once a month. It was totally by trial. They've never done this with high schoolers before and when I presented it to them they thought, what is a high school kid? going to do with this dog? Like, are they going to behave or what's going to happen? And I said, well, I said, we'll just prep them and see how it goes. And it's been incredible, incredible. So we have those doggos come in. I'm trying to get them in all my classes. I've got them in a comprehensive class and with my ramp up kids now. And my other kids, we just did a promo video on our e-news website. And so all the kids in the school saw it. So they're like, well, how do we get the dog? <laughs> Where do we get the dog? So it's like, a, it's a real perk for my kids in those classes who normally feel like they're getting the short end of the stick to go in and be like, yeah, we got the dog. They got something (laughs) special. Absolutely. So I'm so excited to hear about this program because I am a huge dog nut, like maybe weirdly so. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe weirdly so. So first of all, tell me what kind of dogs are Zeus and Carly? We have a yellow lab and we have two golden retrievers. And their, their personalities are just wonderful. They come in, the lady in the front office, I told her, she greets them every day and she's down there on the floor with them. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Get, the dogs are getting ready to work. I mean, they're working dogs, just like a service dog. So they have certain expectations. Miss Williams in our front office is always like, it's dog day, it's the best day in the office. So I think she kind of hoards the dogs up here before the kids come and get them. So she loves them. When you, you saw this and decided that you wanted to contact Paul's with purpose, what were you sort of hoping would happen? My first thought was, and especially in my ramp up classes I have students we do a model called read aloud think aloud talk aloud so we read out loud to each other we talk about what my predictions are what are some strategies a good reader would use and then they verbalize theirs and I have a lot of kids who flat out refuse they're nervous to read out loud in the first place we can't pronounce the words we're not sure how to read with fluency paying attention to punctuation and stuff like that so my first thought was simply to have them read with a non-judgmental person just to read out loud. Nobody's listening, just read out loud. Because this is a way for me to say, you've got this perk, you've got this non-judgmental character that's, then they actually listen, the dogs listen, they look at the books, they look at the pictures. When the kids, I about died, I was watching a kid from afar, he showed the picture book oh. and was like, look, and I thought, I'm gonna go over here and go cry in the corner. This is a student I've not been able to get do anything all year, and he's reading out loud, a grade level text with fluency, with intonation, pausing, showing the pictures. It was, it's just incredible. So that's what I was going for originally was with just building their confidence in doing it. Another thing that helped was we're trying to work on more trauma informed 
ideas in school. We've got students coming from all sorts of homes, backgrounds, facilities that we don't know where they were the night before a lot of times. And I have many kids that I've said, you're a great reader, but you need the dog today. That something's going on or they've said, can I read with the dog today? It just really calms them. So the social emotional aspect of sitting there and petting the dog and giving them 15 minutes outside of class to go and go, it's an anxiety it reliever. Absolutely. And that's the purpose of the dogs in the first place is these therapy dogs are not trained to be seeing eye dogs. They're trained for things like anxiety. They're therapy dogs for specific diagnoses. So, and that's what we're, that's what we're trying to address in a non-traditional way. So do their handlers come in with them? The handlers come in. The handlers are wonderful. I've wrote a couple of thank you notes that a couple of the kids wrote. Some of them write thank you notes to the handlers. Some of them write them to the dogs. <laughs> so they do love them. They say, the lady came and she sat down and read her own book and ignored me and let me play with the dog or hold the leash or anything like that. So the handlers at Paws with Purpose are incredible. They're here. They're so responsive and they say, what do you want to do? What do you want to do differently? How can we do this? So our next meeting, the day before spring break, we're having the dogs come in so the whole class can meet them. Yeah, I've got some kids who are leery or they've got not got their permission slips yet. I'm hoping that we once we bring the dog into so the whole class that they'll be like, okay, I want to do it. Where's the form? Where do I sign up? So when they come paint a picture for me, do you have them do the same thing each time they come or does that look a little bit different? We kind of do the same thing each time. We greet our dogs each morning. So we've got a first period and a third period meet. We've been meeting in the library. We've got a place in the library we call the cave and we set up. I brought in fluffy blankets and kind of made a little pallet on the floor because some of the kids are nervous and they'll want to sit in the chair and the dog will come put their head on their lap. But then a lot of kids were like, I'm just going to post up on the floor with you. So I've left them for a few minutes to start reading and come back. And they've got their arm around the dog. They're laying on the blanket. They're holding their book and they're reading. So I just want them to get comfortable. So a lot of times they post up. They take whatever book they're working on for independent reading. So they can choose anything they want on their own level. Sometimes they take their book club group. They pick up wherever they are. And they're tasked with trying to read. I tell them to try to read as if you were reading to a classroom. So we're going to practice inflection in our voice, pay attention to the punctuation, pay attention to how we're pronouncing our words, and just read for fun. Actually, you're there to enjoy yourself, so they get to choose their own book. So I'm hoping that they've made a a wise choice and are actually enjoying the time. Plus, they all said, it's time out of class. So it's, it's a perk for my kiddos who've met all the expectations for that week to go and get that pass. So... Sometimes we do two dogs at a time. They're sitting on two separate areas. The handler will sit at a table just a few feet away, and then the kid has the dog all to themselves for 10 to 15 minutes. I don't have dogs, but I'll <laughs> even admit that sounds really awesome yeah. just to sit and read with the dog it's for a while. Wonderful. It's wonderful just to even just to be around them to watch. You can literally just see their chest go, and they just sit down or they plop on the floor, and you can see them go from, I gotta work or I've gotta get this task done today to, I got the dog today. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. Because the animals of rough readers generally work with elementary school children, how does a session with a high school child differ? Do you, do you know what they we, would normally do at an elementary school? What we school? wanted to do here was, and again, my main focus was confidence to start because I have so many students. I might have a kid reading on an 11th grade level and a third grade level in the same classroom. And, and they realize that, and they pay attention to their peers. So my idea was to get them away from their peers, again, with like that non-judgmental partner. Whereas in the elementary classroom, they're all reading and they're so excited. They're like, dog, go, we'll read the book. We don't care what's going on. We're here. They're really dealing with a lot of internal, their own 
preconceived notions of I can or can't read or I'm a good reader or I'm a bad reader, that this totally takes that away. So it's different. So I wanted them to be in a one-on-one environment for sure. And I imagine if it's a classroom of third graders, they haven't had, not that they're all at the same level, but they haven't yet gotten to the point where they're as self-conscious a student who's in middle or high school, especially if they have, you know, something that they feel like they're not as strong at as right. other people. Absolutely. And my students, they're starting to be aware that they've been tracked mm-hmm. into different courses. And so they're starting to pay attention to who goes into what class and maybe for what reason. So they're starting to become aware of that. So that's something I want to take that stigma and say, these classes, my, my morning classes got this perk, where a lot of times it's the advanced class got to go on this field trip or this or that. So it gives them a little perk for what they've got going on where they they don't necessarily get everything that everybody else does, I feel like. And what I love about it is there's no judgment. I mean, I have a golden retriever. A golden retriever loves everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Equally. <laughs> Equally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no judgment, and they're just being able to reap all that mm-hmm. love from they, that animal. And they do. And so when I tell the kids, I said, some of these are dogs in training. So part of what you're doing is getting them used to coming into a really busy hallway, going in and seeing 30 students or 50 students in the library, making sure they're listening to their handler, making sure they're going around. Some of the kids will say, he licked me. I didn't think he would lick me. Or she got up and walked around. I'm like, well, well, yeah, they, you know, they're still animals. So some of them are still in training, so they're still kind of getting used to what are the expectations in different scenarios. So that's why I tell the kids is you're helping train this dog for someone else. So we look at it as a service project kind of too. So have they been coming all year? They've been coming, I think, since October. So when they first came, how did you tell the students and what was their initial reaction to it we originally started with a dog named carly and there are volunteers from pause with purpose that come and i got one volunteer for a certain slot and it was perfect because that's my ramp up class that's where we have a little bit of extra time we have some more project-based stuff where i can get them going get my collaborating teacher to work with the class and i would say i'm gonna just sneak away for an hour with the dog and see how this goes and so i presented it to them i said you are the only class in the school you are the only class in high schools. You are the only class in Jefferson County high schools that has this opportunity. We are the first one. So I said, we've got to set a good impression. And I said, what I'd like to do is have this be the norm, maybe an every other Friday thing where we have them come in, where we continue other projects with them. But I marketed it as a treat for them and as a reward that they had done a really good job with expectations from the beginning of the year. So they were like, give me that, give me that form. <laughs> where do I sign up to get out of class? <laughs> Do you know how the animals are trained or how they're prepped to, to I, do this? I don't, because my understanding is that Paws with Purpose owns the puppies and trains them, and then they have a handler basically for life, but that Paws with Purpose coordinates all the maintenance of all of additional trainings, all the vet care and all the stuff like that. I don't know the training. I'd really love to try to get my kids to see the puppies sometime. So that's kind of my goal for a future possible field trip is when they start introducing them to crowds as puppies maybe we could come visit or do something like that. So that'll be puppy day. We'll just be, we'll get anything done that day. But yeah, that's my goal since we've done so well this year. So have there been any challenges with having rough readers come? Some challenges that I didn't expect were kids that loved it one day would come in the next and they'd be on the schedule and on the roster and I'd say, you ready? And they'd just be like, no, today's not the day. So there were a couple that Maybe we're feeling nervous. We're really kind of regimented with our schedule. Think through them off a little bit. And I think some days you're just in the mood or not. So what I was hoping was that when you're in that mood or something's going on, they could use that as a release and understand 
just go whisper to the dog. You know, nobody's literally, when they're there reading, we're not watching them. The handler is at one or two tables away, and I'm kind of across the room watching, reading my own book. I've had a couple say, we're not into this. Mm -hmm. I've had several kids who are frightened of dogs mm -hmm. and just say, no, I don't like them. Golden Retriever's too big. And so we just kind of would walk around the library and peek on the corner for some people. And they're like, oh, the dog lays on you and you read to it? I said, yeah. They said, okay, where's that form again? <laughs> so we had some that were hesitant at first and they said, no way, I, want to, I definitely want to do this. So if a student doesn't, I mean, it's not something they have to do. Correct. They have it's the totally ability. It's totally optional. Okay. Yeah, it's totally optional. They've got the, the waiver. We've got approval from our principal and from their parents for sure. Are there types of students that you think benefit the most from from this kind of reading therapy? I say absolutely. And I wasn't able to bring a student with me today, but several wrote that they felt that they could just come in and it set them up for confidence for the rest of the day, that they came in feeling like crap or upset or they were depressed or emotional, something was going on. A student said, all I needed was a lick from the dog to change my day. And I thought, yeah, me too. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is perfect. All I needed was a smile for you to see the dog lick you and that made my day. So that's mm -hmm. all I needed. I've had several students with lots of social and emotional trauma that sometimes I feel I'm not equipped to deal with or manage. And those students, by far and large, it's incredible the transformation of students with different diagnoses that are going in and I've literally not been able to communicate with them the entire year and I've said let's try this would you come here with me and watch this kid read and put them on the floor with the dog and to watch sit down oh okay it's transformative for so many students students with especially difficult times with ADHD with ODD with different issues this is the perk that they need to say getting out of class but they don't realize they're still doing classwork but they're still kind of meeting these standards and they get to do it on their own level without any judgment without any grading I would say definitely students with any sort of a mental health or emotional issue it's been huge. It's been immediate, really, the transformation. When they come back to the classroom, it is immediate and it's lasting, mm. which is crazy. I just thought, we're going to read to dogs and build your confidence. And some, the change in them, it's incredible. Wow. What has been the response from some of your fellow teachers or the administration? They say, where do you get those dogs? And I say, I'm not going to give you the phone number because there's only three dogs. These are mine. So I've told a couple of them. And I'm sure a few people think that we're, we're just in their reading or this is just something that freshmen do. I don't know that everybody's realized what we're doing. Like I said, we did get on the e-news last week, so there is a little bit more hype going on with it. A lot of people have asked, and I would love I would love for us to have a dog at school. I know several mm -hmm. elementary schools in JCPS have a dog that their handler is maybe a counselor, an office person that they're in there. I would love to have that eventually. To have something like this in our counseling office would be perfect. It really know? sounds like it could be the salve for so many things. It, My son's middle school, they have a therapy oh, really? dog. Awesome. And I mean, that dog can really totally change how a child is reacting to their day. They actually had, I can't remember, I think it was before the winter break, it was around her birthday. And so some kids were able to go and like have a birthday party oh, for her. And But that what they didn't bring presents for her, but they brought presents that were then donated the to the organization. I mean, when I go into the school, I'm like, Willow, there's Willow. <laughs> I mean, she makes me happy just seeing her there. So Absolutely. I do think it makes a huge, and yeah. I've pump it up through the week. I'm like, you know, the dog's coming Friday. Don't forget. Make sure you've got your book. Make sure you've got your page marked that you're ready to go. So we really, we try to hype it up. I think it's wonderful. And I mean, 
with such a big push to work on, we've got our mental health counselors in schools now. If we can get the logistics of it down, it seems like a really logical step that works. I mean, it's just immediate. It's crazy the difference that you see in these kids when they come back to class. So we had hoped to have one of your students mm-hmm. come talk to us. What what did some of the students write about? Sorry to interrupt. No, I no, asked, no. I asked Go ahead. a couple of students today because we've kind of been dealing with just a crazy week at school. I said, I'm going to be interviewed today. We're going to talk about rough readers. Could you write down how it made you feel? And so today I had a couple write, it gets me out of class. Yeah. Or I liked it. Or the dog was soft. And I thought, okay, we've not, we haven't prepped you enough. I should have done like a whole survey. Uh, one student wrote, this is a student who I really wanted to interview, Kamani. Um, I really wanted him and he was not able to be here today and he said I just said how does it make you feel when the rough readers come and he said for a moment I felt nervous and then all I needed was just a lick and a pet from the dog to help me and then number two he said how did this change your day he said this definitely changed my perspective on how I pictured my day she gave me the courage I needed in order to get through the day and so some of these kids have different sort of backgrounds and just to see them light up when they come in another student wrote Carly was laying on my leg when I read and she knew I was depressed and showed me she was there to love me. We write thank you notes after they come each time and some students write the thank you notes to the dogs and some write them to the handlers. So one student says, dear rough readers, I love my time. Can we do it again? The dogs helped me out. They gave me confidence, comfort, and made me smile. Um, We have one written to Travis the dog and he says, I had an amazing day. I have had you twice and you're the best. I like how you listen and how chill you was. I hope we can do it again. So Aww. they they love it. They're they're excited when the dog does something like nuzzle them or lick them. You can literally they literally sit down and smile. And it's just it's incredible to see their experience. With a lot of kids when you're in high school, high school's not cool or or this sucks or we've kind of got an attitude and this it's just and friends turns everything upside down in the best way. And I think sometimes high schoolers, if there's a big difference between their reading level or their skill level at that point, I think a lot of times they feel defeated by that Mm -hmm. point because it seems like to them that they're never going to be able to catch up. So why even try? Why even try? And so what I love about this is that it's a different way to kind of give them that that motivation. Well, one of the things that I've done with students who who might not be on grade level or might be nervous to take their book down there, I've got a children's book and I've prefaced it with this dog is learning how to read with children. So I want you to read a children's book and it might have a sentence on each page and a picture. Read the sentence as if you were reading to a second grade class and show them the picture. And they're like, okay, well, I can do that. So then it kind of changes the, I'm not reading a second grade book, but I'm reading a second grade book using my my skills and my comprehension strategies and we just kind of layer it in without them knowing which is the best way they don't realize they're learning it's the best way to do it i know you've said they enjoy getting out of class and being able to hang with the dogs but have you noticed that they're more receptive to reading in general because of being able to practice with the dogs and build that confidence i have there are a couple of students in particular i have one student that after we read with the dog two weeks ago usually won't talk with his group is really resistant to most everything and came in all of a sudden was listening to every direction and asking questions to clarify and took leadership in a book club group project that we did out of nowhere. And I thought the only thing that I could accredit this to is that he knows that he's got that little carrot, that he's got that dog on the schedule for next month that he had a good week, two weeks ago, and he knows that that is an incentive 
to get done what he needs to get done and kind of build a little bit of confidence where he normally would be a quiet or non-participating member of a group. So for sure. What's the reaction been from Pause with a Purpose? Is it something that they want to do more of? I think they want to because we got two more dogs. We started out with one and then we have two more now. Um, So we have three total. I think they like it. I think they were a little bit hesitant at first and they said, you know, what are we going to expect from high schoolers? Like, what are the kind of kids? Are they going to be polite? Will they know how to act around a dog? Will they care? I mean, we've got a lot of kids with tons of apathy and we're just kind of like, oh, I don't care about this dog. What are we going to do? And the, the kids just light up. So I think the pause with purpose group, I would love to get, I keep telling my fifth and sixth period, I'm trying my hardest to get you a dog. I'm trying, they're like, those kids got a dog again. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, that's just a perk for that particular class. So I'm trying to get some more pause. Um, this is me and this is me calling out to you guys, send us more dogs. Start training yeah. more dogs. Right, bring us the puppies. <laughs> When my daughter was, she was still maybe in middle school, we had Pause with Purpose come talk to her Girl Scout troop. And now in this case, it was a therapy dog mm-hmm. that would live with the woman. And they were like, oh, you know, right. so if you think that middle and high schoolers are just grumpy all the time, I mean, they are, but <laughs> adding a dog to the mix can improve things dramatically. Absolutely. So if other educators would like to try something like this out, are she's there not going to answer this. I you know, know but are there, any, <laughs> yeah. are there any recommendations that you would give because you've started it from the beginning, so you've seen things that work that sure. didn't work. Are there any recommendations you would give um, to how to utilize it? I would say give it a chance. A lot of people think that, you know, at ninth grade, we've got a lot of immaturity. I've got every behavior you could imagine that they will rise to the challenge. If you present them with an opportunity for success, they will meet you wherever your expectations are. And we say this as educators, wherever your expectations are, that's where they'll meet you. So I took my, what you might call my most difficult class or the class that nobody else in the school wants to teach and gave them this perk and they have been incredible with it. So to give them a chance. And then if you would start the program, I would say try it with like that kindergarten or first or second grade book and do a read aloud story time and let them build up from there at their own pace for sure. I've got several students who they've been working on tasks and they, they need a reader or they need the electronic copy of the book to read to them and that dog comes and they go, I don't need that. And they'll just plop down with the book and they'll try. So students who you think are apathetic or going to come put their head down, put those on your list first. Give them the chance to prove you wrong first because it was shocking to me when we had our first visits. It was shocking. They did a great job. This is such a feel-good <laughs> it is, episode. It. <laughs> Who doesn't love dogs? Right. Dogs and kids success. Kids, dogs <laughs> and kids success. So maybe you don't want to answer this, but if other people would like to contact this organization, is it just Pause with a Purpose Sure, Lowell? it's Pause with Purpose, and they have a website. I think it's pausewithpurpose.org, and they've got a link on their website for what's called Rough Readers. I think there's probably a lot more dogs that are going to the elementary settings with different flexibilities in their day. But like I said, we've got three and we're looking to fill, I got six class periods, so I'm not going to stop till I've got six dogs. So when I was doing a little research about this program, it's not just a Louisville thing. It's a nationwide Mm -hmm. program. So even if you're not in the Louisville area, you should check your region and see if there's there's a group there. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're all reading. I'm here with Emily McKeon and Carrie, and we're going to talk about 
what we're reading. So Carrie, what's that book that you have sitting there? So this is a book that I just finished rereading. This is a middle school book. It's called The Witch of Blackbird Pond, and it's by Elizabeth George Spear. It was a Newbery Medal winner. Um, I remember reading this when I was in middle school, probably. I hadn't read it until I was an adult, but it's good. It's set in Connecticut. I think it's around 1687, and it's about a girl who was brought up in Barbados, and some things happened to her, and she needs to get away from Barbados and so she is able to kind of hop on a ship and she goes up to Connecticut where her aunt lives now she has never met her aunt her mother and the sister of her mother had both been born in England one went to Connecticut one went to Barbados so she hops on a boat and she goes up to Connecticut and basically knocks on the door and says hi I'm your niece I need a place to stay but she says it not like that her aunt and her aunt's family are Puritans and they live in this very small colony. She has to adjust to being in this Puritan colony. She is very impulsive. She came from money when she was in Barbados and now she's in a situation where they don't have much and everything they do have, they have to work for it. Uh, She has two cousins, their sisters, Mercy and Judith, and so she has to learn how to deal with them, and there's a little bit of romance because these are teenage girls, and they're figuring out who they want to marry and who will marry them. So it's a, you know, historical fiction. I think it's a good book for kids because it does help them think about things like, how do we judge people? What do we judge people on, and should we judge them for the things that we judge them for and also about impulsivity i mean that's what teenagers are they're just big walking bundles of impulsive action and so this is a book that helps them recognize it in a character and then hopefully apply those same things to their own lives so i teach this and the students enjoy it the part of the story relating to the witch kit the protagonist she is not a witch but there is an old woman who lives near Blackbird Pond, and everybody says that she is a witch, and Kit befriends her. And so some things happen in the story related to this woman that everybody thinks is a witch. So again, we have that whole judgment thing, like why, why are we judging her harshly? So I, I think it gives students all sorts of sort of meaty things to, to think about. Recommend it. <laughs> Go pick it up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. <laughs> so, Emily, what what have you been reading? I am notorious for starting multiple independent reading books. We do independent reading with my class at the beginning of each class. So I'll start a book with a kid, or I'll say we've got two copies, so I'll pick one up and read them. So I've been reading Freedom Writer's Diary, which, of course, I've seen the movie, and we've analyzed that so many times. But this is my first time actually reading through it, and it's incredible. So, okay, so Freedom Writers tells the story of a brand new teacher. She's teaching in California. It's kind of trial by fire. She was like, I'm going to go teach to the masses. I'm going to make a difference in the world, which I related to immediately because I had a 13-year career outside of here and then decided I'm going to go be a teacher. And so six years ago, I left a career and then just totally relate to this person of just throw yourself right into the classroom. I'd been in my grad school program 
for three months and they found me in a placement and were like, good luck. So I feel like when I read this book that I've lived this life and I'm still living this life. So it tells the story of all these different students in the teacher's classroom and they write their individual diaries to the teacher, but it starts out with how she builds their trust and confidence. I'm reading this with a literature circle in my classroom, so I actually sit down with them and participate with their group. Each diary shows every single thing that could be going wrong or right in these kids' lives, and they're realizing from each other all of the commonalities through all the differences that they have, that it's all the struggle that they need to overcome within themselves. So they're seeing what they can use as a group dynamic to be there for each other. And so that's something that I wanted to bring into my classroom is say, we're all so different, but are we really? And bring that together. So it, the diary is written from different students' perspectives. And so the premise of the story is the teacher says, you can write whatever you want. And if you want me to, to read it, put it in this drawer. And if you don't, put it in this cabinet and lock it up and I'll never read it, which is something I've done with my students before. Say, if you don't want me to read something that's in your binder at the top, do the assignment, write, do not read. And I give you the checkpoints if it's an effort grade and we move on. But I think building the confidence like that, and it just builds the relationships in the classroom. So we're to the point in the book where all of the students have lapped up with their teachers. They were with her freshman year. They've moved up sophomore year. And so you see whether they're going to make it to graduation or not. So I just love this one because for me as a teacher, it just shows me I'm not the only one that feels like, gosh, what am I going to do to help this kid? Or who stays up at night worrying about kids? Or who's crying about kids on the weekend? Or at Walmart, like, where's the cheapest box of folders that I can get from my classroom? So that's really relatable. Also, always read David Sedaris is like my backup. I need to detox. I need to read a short essay. I need to read something like funny and witty or just something totally silly. So I just finished um, Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls, which just his voice, he's just my person. I just love his style and his structure where you can pick up any book anytime. I've literally got a stack up on my nightstand which is like, okay, I just need kind of a detox. I need a little bit of a laugh. So him telling his stories about growing up with his sister or it's just his voice is incredible when he talks about the things that they did that you think, oh gosh, I'm the only one who beat the crap out of my sister and then lied about it and then told whatever <laughs> stories. And let's read Diabetes with Owls. He's grown and he's already achieved some success. So he talks about living in Europe and observing other cultures and he just tells it like it is. I watched this one culture do this and I had no idea and he's real judgmental but then also sweet and funny about it. So I love that one. And I'm always reading a true crime book. So I've been trying to read Anne Rule, so she did the Ted Bundy oh, yeah, story. When yeah. she's great, but the minutia of the details, mm. it's gotten to be too much. So I never give up books, but I had to give up one of hers because it was just, it was extra. As my kids said, <laughs> just like, stop, just tell me who did it, who died, who did it. So I've just started I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I just finally got that download from our library, and that's Michelle McNamara on the search for the Golden State Killer. So I think I really like her voice in that, where it's more of a relatable She's not a detective. She's not an attorney. She's telling the story from a murderino's perspective, somebody who stays up at night and looks up cold cases, and she ended up solving it. So I know how it's going to end. You know how it's going to end, so hopefully that's not a spoiler alert, but it's her journey as an amateur sleuth in her basement at night with her laptop and her Cheetos and everything looking up, where can I find a cold case where it left off where I can fit in? I so I like those that. where I can kind of relate to, like with the voice in Freedom Riders and with the voice in that one where I can be like, yeah, that's... I like to put myself in my in the character's shoes. So that's definitely a look for in my books.
that's one I want to read. She died shortly after yes. it was published, and mm-hmm. she was married to Patton Oswalt, yes. right, who's an mm-hmm. actor-comedian. People yes. know who he is. So I think I've decided, based on what you said about extra, because I have a hard time DNFing books. I just feel like I can go back to this. Most of the time, I don't. But I think I'm going to rename it. I'm going to call it Extra. <laughs> this book was Extra. I would say, you're doing too much. So that one was doing too much. So I was like 500 pages in, and I thought, I would tell my kids, if it's not for you, you can put it down. You can make the decision. And I thought, I can do it. I can do it. And I thought, I can do it. I don't want to, to do, do it. it. Yeah. So at that point, What did you on. do before you were a teacher? I was in the insurance industry for 13 years. So I was on the administrative and executive support side. So I was teaching and coddling adult salesmen now, (laughs) teaching and coddling ninth graders now. So definitely I wanted to be a teacher long ago and fell into a position at an agency that was wonderful. And it was just something I I couldn't turn away because I just had people that I loved there dearly and became friends that became family. And then finally got to the point where I said, you can't put off teaching anymore. It's what you were born to do. Go do it. So they supported me. Through grad school, they let me work part-time in the summers. They let me come in on the weekends and work as long as I needed. So shout-out to my BB&T people. <laughs> they were great. Well, Amy, what, do, what have you had going on? I just finished a memoir called Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Onwachi with uh, Joshua David Stein, who helped him write it. And this was published in 2019. For those who regularly listen to our podcast, several episodes ago, I talked about a book that I had gotten for my daughter for Christmas to read, and she hadn't read it yet, but I had read it, and I talked about it on the show. Well, this is another case like that. This is a case where I had gotten this book for my son, who is in culinary school, and thought that he might like it. He's not read it yet, but of course, I have read it now. Some people may recognize the name Kwame Anawachi if you watch Top Chef because he was a contestant on there in 2015. And in 2019, he won the Rising Star Chef Award from the James Beard Foundation. And if you're a foodie, you know that the James Beard Foundation, it's kind of a big deal to, to win an award. So I think that this book is a really inspirational memoir for teens and young adults. And that's not the audience for it, but he himself is fairly young. And I think it would be great for them to read it to show how mistakes you make in your youth don't have to define your whole life. And a lot of success in life depends on resilience. And when you get knocked down, you just need to get back up and come back harder. So the story is of Kwame Anawachi, who's a young black man, and how he turned his life around with hard work and confidence in his own abilities. He's currently only about 30 years old, but he owns one of the most celebrated restaurants in Washington, D.C. right now called Kith and Ken. And by the time he was 27, he had been catering for years and he opened his own fine dining establishment at that age. But his happy ending started with a fairly rough beginning. He's the son of a black American mother with Caribbean and Creole roots and also a Nigerian father, although his parents divorced when he was young. And he grew up in the Bronx and he had a very loving home with his mother, although you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. She was a distracted mother because she was a single mom and was having to work long hours to make enough money to support her two children. And she was dead set against taking government assistance. So she worked in catering on the side. His father was abusive, so he tried to have as little contact with his dad as possible. But he was a smart kid who loved to watch his mother cook and found it comforting. But when he arrived at his preteen years, he became unruly and disrespectful. 
his mother, sort of at her wit's end, decides to send him away to live with his grandfather in Nigeria. It started out he was just going to go for a summer, and then it turned out that he spent a whole school year there, and he really enjoyed the time with his grandfather. His grandfather had been educated in the United States, had moved back to Nigeria, but his family was part of the village elders, historically speaking. So his grandfather had a prominent role in the village, and he talks a lot about observing his grandfather in that role. And this was his father's father's father. So you would think that maybe that was the turning around point for him, but no. So when he returns to the States, he gets back in with his friends and he turns to his old ways. He's an intelligent kid, but because of his behavior, he's kicked out of several schools. He becomes part of a gang. He heads to college, but spends his time there selling drugs and is expelled. So at this point, he kind of hits rock bottom and decides he wants a change. So he goes to live with his mother. His mother says, you need to get off my sofa and go get a job. So he starts working in some restaurants that pay pennies. So when he was a drug dealer in college, he was earning like $3,000 a week. And he's having to work as a server now and get less than minimum wage and tips. Then he he decides to do something completely different. He gets a job on a Deepwater Horizon oil spill cleanup ship. So if you don't remember, Deepwater Horizon is when there was that big spill in the Gulf of Mexico. So there are these ships that would go out for weeks at a time to try to clean that up. He goes on that ship as a cook and it changes his life because he realizes what he really wants to do. He enjoyed cooking for the guys, mainly guys, on those ships and he wanted to do that as a career. So to me, one of the most interesting things about this book is his ability to sell himself. And by that, I mean, you hear the saying, fake it until you make it. And that's basically what he did in his early 20s. He had no formal culinary training except for what he'd received helping his mom and when he was on that ship. And yet he had great confidence in himself. And he was able to convince people to hire him to cater events and success breeds success. So the more jobs that he got, that he was able to do successfully, the more jobs that he would get. He sold candy bars on the subway to fund his business. He worked long hours at other restaurants to work his way through culinary school. And part of what he was selling was his life story. It's a rag to riches story, although most chefs aren't making a lot of riches, but it's a story of redemption. And one of the themes of the book is that people expected him to make black southern food they expected him to make fried chicken collard greens barbecue but that wasn't the food that he wanted to make he wanted to take food from his life growing up so the caribbean influence the cajun influence african food from his roots and put his own fine dining spin on it you know it's sort of like with professional football you up until recently you don't see a lot of black quarterbacks because that's the the chief, you know, of the of the tribe. And that's somewhat true in professional high-end kitchens as well. You don't see a lot of black chefs. And he said it took a long time for the food world and customers to accept that kind of food from him. But he stuck to his guns. He had quite a few career failures, but he learned from those mistakes and he came back stronger. So I enjoyed this book. I wouldn't say you're not going to get great literature out of it. It's more about his inspiring story than, you know, a lot of imagery, a lot of great quotes, you know, things like that. But it was a really interesting uh, story that he has to tell. It sounds like it was a pretty quick read. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I read it in a couple days. 
This yeah. one was on the shelf in our library, and I noticed it, and now I'm always looking for where we can do a project base. And after your description, I'm thinking, how can we get the guy from Super Chefs and oh, Louisville yeah. with his story and throw that into our book club mix or something? And that like, would this be guy's great. Here. We could, this is somebody you could write to or talk to or reach out on social media. That might be a really cool connection. So, that would be. Yeah. And... You know, like I was saying, I think it would be great for some young readers to read. And you said you were always looking for books that boys might right. like. Now, it's not necessarily basketball, but, I mean, he had a pretty gritty life for a mm-hmm. while. And there might be some things that they could, re- you know, like messing up when you're a teenager mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to overcome this. Overcome right. this. And you can. And I really think that's a, an important lesson for yeah, them to know. Absolutely. Well, when we come back, we are going to ask Emily her top five. We are back with Emily McKeon from Eastern High School, and we're going to be asking her her top five. So you are a lifetime equestrian. How did you get started, and what is the top thing you enjoy about it? I got started because my cousin, Vicki, had a small horse farm in southern Indiana, and I went the first time, and I came back and was like, this is what I want. This is what I want my life to be. And so she would let me come and care for her horses and ride and kind of lease horses and go to horse shows there. And it was an immediate addiction. And my parents thought, okay, we'll get her a horse. And so I guess it kept me out of a lot of trouble for my life. You've got a horse, there's no time (laughs) or money for anything else. I would say my favorite thing would be absolutely the partnership that you build with one particular horse. It's a super emotional connection when you're asking a 1200 pound animal to move an inch. And so I would just say the emotional connection is incredible with your horse, yeah. So how old again were you when you started doing this? I was this? eight. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. I was so you eight, are a lifetime equestrian. I love it. And any chance I get, I'm on there. You could get on a horse and just start riding oh, yeah. it. You would feel oh, yeah. totally comfortable. I would feel totally that. comfortable. Taught horseback riding lessons for years, okay. 4-H clubs, all that kind of stuff. It's definitely my jam. Well, I want to hear about this working cattle ranch that you go to in the summertime. I go to a ranch called McGeary Ranches in Rexburg, Idaho. And it's a working family ranch on the Snake River. When people think Idaho, they think fields of potatoes. It's not. It's like the Colorado views. Mm. It's the mountains. It's the Teton Mountains. It's incredible. And so I go, save up my money all year to go pay to work on the ranch. (laughs) And it is the best thing I've ever done. Some years I've gone twice a year. Some years I've had to skip. But it's like going home to see your family. They post you up in a little cabin with the basic amenities. You eat home cooking with your family for breakfast and dinner and then throughout the whole day you go and move 2,000 cattle over about 50,000 acres out in the national forest and different leased lands. You chase cows, you doctor them, you rope them, you vaccinate them, you tag them, you brand them. How long are you there for? For a week and you get to ride like the wind and it is incredible. I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I'm getting ready to send my deposit for my trip for this year. So July, I'll be living my cowgirl dream for sure. We went to Colorado a couple years ago. And so we went horseback riding. They have through the YMCA up there and my whole family. So it was my mom and dad. My mom, I think was 79 or 80 at the time. So she was on a horse. My mother-in-law, we were all on a horse, not like, Yeehaw! You know, right. very slow moving, but we loved it. And so then last year when we went to the beach, 
we went horseback riding on the beach. Now this year we're doing kind of a low key vacation, but the place we're going has horseback riding. So um, I think this might be our family's new vacation thing. It's your theme. It's our theme. So you just started running and you completed the Couch to 5K program. Tell us about that program and what was the top thing that you found motivating and useful about it? I have attempted this Couch to 5K program. It takes you from not jogging at all to being able to go for 30 minutes straight. And so it's it's an app. You put it in your earbuds and it says jog for one minute, walk for one minute, and then it builds you up. So I finished that last week and I've started and stopped it three or four times and just have not ever had success with it and finally said, I'm going to do this. I can do this and I've done it with a partner and it's been torture, (laughs) but it's been something to kickstart. It was some motivation that I needed. I feel like I'm a person who very frequently tells people, you can do it with some hard work, gumption, determination, you can do it. And I thought, okay, well look in the mirror and like you can do this too. And so I've loved it. I'm I'm really ready for, I did my first jog outside this week. So I've been on the treadmill all winter long, but went to Seneca Park. So I'm ready to do some stuff like Cherokee and get on trails and things like that. But I'm ready to get outside with it and continue. The day that you finish, it says, are you ready for couch to 10K? And I was just like (laughs) cussing at it like, no, thank you. I met my goal. That's it. Definitely ready to get out into the sunshine this spring. So now I'll I'll be ready to go. I can crank out 30 minutes. So I'm super proud. How's your breathing? Because I have tried running in the past and my breathing gets in the way of me feeling like I should be doing this. The thing that's been really good for me, I'm a highly anxious person and we'll start thinking about it, but I've found once you're going like that, that you can't even think about it because Mm -hmm. you're working so hard. It gets to the very end before I'm actually consciously thinking about it. But that's one thing I liked about the app is it starts and stops you in segments and intervals so that you can build that up, that Mm -hmm. it gets you just to where you're ready to quit and then gives you a little break before you start again. I've done this program as well. I didn't finish it. I didn't know this about you. This was maybe three years ago. I did it with another person in our book club. Uh, You knew not to ask me because I would say (laughs) no. We did it together and our goal was then to do a 5K run in the spring. And so we didn't finish it in time before the 5K runs. So we did part of the 5K run before we stopped and then continued. And then we were going to finish the program. Well, the person that I did it with decided she wasn't wrong about her belief that she hated running. She really (laughs) did hate running. And so then I continued on my own for a while, but I didn't finish. I think maybe having a partner really does help. But I would like to try it again sometime. That was absolutely the key. Was to look at the partner and be like... I want to flip you the bird. (laughs) Did it just say we're only halfway? Like I'm dying over here. So definitely key with having a partner. You love true crime, podcasts, TV, books. What do you like about that genre? And do you have a top podcast, book, or TV that you want to tell us about? I love it. I started out, my family's going to hate me when they listen. I'm obsessed with Law & Order SVU. It's been a show that like bong bong noise. My family's (laughs) like, stop with that. I've always watched it. I just love having the bad guys get caught, that justice gets served in the end. Then that opened the door to the true crime world with watching, and Netflix has been either great or detrimental, I don't know. With so many true crime options, things like The Staircase and stuff like that have been really popular in watching that. And seeing the bad guys get caught, um, and seeing the kind of investigative skills, just the thought process that goes behind some of these things. I also love the psychology behind it when you go from the opposite, from the criminal perspective thinking 
why are people the way they are? So I like looking at stuff like Mindhunter and things like that. I'm definitely a murderino. My favorite podcast is My Favorite Murder. I am definitely a Karen, not a Georgia. So I can't wait to tell my murderino best friend that I just got to be on a podcast today. <laughs> she's, gonna, she's just going to die. But we got hooked on those and listening to true crime stories. And their platform is to raise awareness of a lot of cold case files and ending the backlogs. It gets the mystery or the interest of, ooh, what goes on in some people's minds, also with a purpose at the end. So I also really like true crime. And I have watched Mindhunters. And my daughter actually loves true crime. And she, at this period in her life, is not a huge reader. But in school recently, their group book that they were reading was In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. And she really liked that. She didn't complain about reading that one <laughs> at all. But have you heard of the book Killers of the Flower Moon? I have not. By David Graham? No. You I should try that, that one, one out. On my list? Okay. I th- might have talked about this one. You on did. The- I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I won't go into it too much, but it's about how the FBI got started back in the 30s, I believe, and it was with an Indian tribe in Oklahoma who were the richest people in the world at that time because of oil on their land. Oh, wow. And they were being murdered, like, one by one. Okay. And that was how the FBI got started. And it was a really good book. Okay. So I, well, I that, recommend that. Put that on the list for sure. You are a national board certified teacher. So will you explain what that entails, because I know it's a lot of work, and what is the top thing you learned about yourself as a teacher from going through that process? Um, National board certification was a logical next step for me. I had my master's in teaching, and so for me to get my rank one, I had the option to go back to school in a traditional classroom or online setting, and the options were a librarian or a literacy specialist, which would both take me out of the classroom, or administration, which would take me out of the classroom, and I thought to myself, I didn't quit my job of 13 years and become a teacher to go to the classroom for six years to leave the classroom because I'm where I'm supposed to be. The classroom is my ending point. I don't want to end up in an office somewhere. So I said, what can I do to further my career? So the rank one option, a teacher next door to me said, you should try this. I think you could do it. And I was like, okay, this is fine. This will be, you know, I'm born to be a student. It's really easy for me to read, write papers and all that. No, no. The National Board program is very elite for a reason, and so what we do, there are four components, and so I broke it into two years, and so I analyze student work and my teaching practice and videos and my collaboration with people in my school and students and basically made a gigantic portfolio of everything I know about teaching, which sounds really easy for an English teacher, but the forms and the analytical writing for an English person, literally the hardest thing I've ever done. So they say, take your whole knowledge of this student in this classroom, put it into this portfolio entry, and then make it eight pages double-spaced. So on my first draft, I'm at 50 pages single-spaced, crying, crying, (laughs) and crying. Literally deleted it and started over. But it has been an amazing process because it makes you think about literally every single decision you make in your classroom and the impact that it has, and the impact that it has beyond that day. But I would say it's so important because of the reflective nature. I'm kind of a perfectionist. I can be kind of particular with my planning, but for me, once I commit to something or plan it, I'm going to make sure it's perfect the first time. So it's very difficult for me after the fact to analyze something and say, you could have done this differently or better because I put so much effort in on the front half, it's going to work the first time. So for me, being a more reflective teacher and saying, 
you didn't plan for this or this didn't work and that doesn't mean this doesn't work but to analyze it after the fact and say here's how we can do it better next time but I did it I certified in December and I'm so grateful that I don't have to touch that again for another <laughs> five more years <laughs> So you have chaperoned several international high school field trips. What is the top frustrating thing about traveling internationally with teenagers? And what was the most rewarding? Well, so I did my first trip was last year, and I went to Spain and Italy with a fabulous group of students and chaperones that made it just a breeze. I don't know that legally I can say um, what our biggest challenge was, but it was bad decisions that students make internationally that you have to deal with on a potentially legal level. (laughs) Traveling internationally with 30 and 40 students It could be bad. And then I would say the biggest challenge was I traveled with an amazing group. The teachers who coordinated this needed an extra body. And so I was the extra body when they had so many kids sign up. So I don't speak Italian and I don't speak Spanish. So I was kind of a wrangler (laughs) of children or a loud voice that could command them in the streets. But I think the hardest part was traveling there with six or eight chaperones and traveling home by myself with the children because the rest of the chaperones continued their trip in Italy (laughs) and sent me home with the kids. Oh, Oh my. So I only had half of the group, but it was over 20 kids and I had never traveled internationally at all. Oh. So going through multiple airports, multiple layovers, customs in three or four countries on the way back after a 12 or 14 day trip was a gauntlet. It was like going on home alone when they're running through the air. That yes. was us. I was like, go, go. This is our flight. I can't be stuck here with you for another day. So um, that was definitely the challenge. But we went to Barcelona. And I, like I said, I've never traveled. But when I saw the Sagrada Familia, I've never been moved by a piece of art or architecture really at all and drove by these city streets. It kind of seems like a downtown urban area, and then you see this cathedral hundreds of feet up above everything, burst into tears. I don't know if it was because we got like an hour of sleep a night. (laughs) Everybody, you're checking hotel rooms at 2 a.m., and then you have a 3 or 4 a.m. wake-up call, but just burst into tears and was like, you have to travel. There are things like this that can touch you or impact you that I didn't even know this existed until it was on our itinerary for the trip. And then we got to go the next day and I just cried the whole time and it was just incredible. So I'm waiting for my invitation to chaperone (laughs) (laughs) on the next possible trip for sure. And you would still be willing to come back with being the sole chaperone with 20 students. It it was worth it. I know it. I know now. (laughs) I know now to take a partner with me (laughs) to come back to help. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. We love learning about your classes and Rough Readers and what you're doing at Eastern High School. We thank appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, 
at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.